All right, let's get into it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. I just want to read this because this is so, these are such incredible words. And I'm going to try to not say too much, but just a few comments along the way as we read this. Again, we're talking about the good life. We're talking about the good life. And uh, this is the most famous sermon ever preached, everybody. This is the most famous sermon ever preached. It's not just a Christian event. This is a historical event throughout history. One of the most famous pieces of ancient literature that we have. And Jesus says some pretty remarkable things. So here we go. Starting in verse number 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, love that, love that word, vermin, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now look, notice this one. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You ever heard somebody say, hey, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Jesus says, no, don't follow your heart. He says, follow your money. And if you follow your money, you'll find your heart. That's what they said in Watergate, right? What was the famous line from Watergate? Follow the... Wow. (laughs) Follow the... Money, follow the money. Jesus is saying the same thing here. Oh, follow your heart. No, he says, follow your money and you'll find your, follow whatever you treasure. And if you follow that path, you'll find your heart. That's interesting. Verse 22, famous verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, is is our boy up there? Is he looking good? Is he looking good? Okay. So we'll make sure. Uh, for those of you, if somebody looks puzzled and you're sitting next to somebody who looks puzzled, they why is he up there? Just lean over and tell them why he's up there because we covered that in the first week of this sermon. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, really important verse. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice money is capitalized with a big M. And some of you have a translation in the Bible that says mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N. Some of you have that that says, so that's an Aramaic word and it's capitalized and it means to trust in money. This whole thing is about this. Either trust God to take care of you or you trust money to take care of you. And there's no in-between. You either trust God to take care of you or you trust money to take care of you. And money is looking for slaves. This is what Jesus is saying here. Okay. Now look how Jesus connects. He does this in Luke as well, everybody. He connects money to worry and anxiety and frustration and being stressed out. So it's capped here. Do not worry. All right, verse 25. Therefore, therefore, the therefore is there because he's saying everything I just said is connected to everything I'm about ready to say. Therefore, I tell you, Do not worry. It's great advice, Jesus. Do not worry about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear, just run around naked and starving. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? I don't know about that. Look at the birds there. Just look at the birds there. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I want you to think about this for a second. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Is he saying we just do whatever we want and he's going to take care of us? Father feeds them. Are you not more more valuable than they? Can anyone, 
by worrying, add a single hour to your life. No, you can't. Verse 28. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? Watch this, you of little faith. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, it's not about the money. It's about trust. He's focusing us here. This is not an issue about money. This is all an issue about trust. You of little faith. So do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, everything hinges on 33. 33 is what this is all about. This is the turning point. This is what brings everything together. But, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That is a really big but, right? It's a really big but right there because everything focuses on it's all about, it's all about the but, right? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So all of this Jesus brings down to this point here. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things can be you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Oh my goodness, no. For tomorrow is going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Boy, we, we better pray, okay? Heavenly Father, please. Lord, help us today. Help us to understand what does it mean to trust you and not trust money? What does it mean that worry is somehow discontent, anxiety is somehow connected to money? What does that mean, Lord? Enlighten us from this most famous sermon ever preached in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I'd like to tell you a story. I was uh, 26, maybe 27 years old at the most. Uh, it was the first church that I was actually um, the pastor of. I was pastoring this church. And I was about maybe two weeks, maybe two weeks into it, maybe two weeks. And there was a gentleman in the church. He was 40-ish, 40-ish. Uh, he'd been a leader in this church and in other churches for a long time. I didn't know him well, but I knew about him. You know what I'm saying? I knew about him. I, he's a Bible study leader. He's a leader in the church. He sat on whatever boards they had, deacons boards, whatever they called them. He sat on all those boards. So I'm, what I'm trying to describe to you is this is a guy that knew his Bible, right? He knew his Bible, and he was a leader in the church. He was a respected leader in the church. And he called me up, not even two weeks into the deal, and he said, I'd like to have a meeting with you. Well, I immediately got excited. I thought to myself, well, this is great. This dude knows his Bible. He's an older guy. been around the church a long time. He's going to come in. And you know what he's going to say to me, right? You know what he's going to say to me? Hey, John, I'm just here. This is your first pastor. I just want you to know I'm here to support you. I'm here to pray for you. Man, I was feeling good. I was feeling really good. He's going to come in. I felt like a big deal, too, because I had the, you know, I had, I had an office, at an office. He's coming. He's meeting me. Okay. All right. So he comes in. He sits down and he looks at me and he says, the Bible doesn't have anything to do with money. Faith doesn't have anything to do with money. Jesus never talks about money. How dare you say it has anything to do about money? I'm sick and tired of hearing that. And I think it is incredibly disrespectful. And I am just, I am just totally perturbed that you would look at who contributes to this church. How dare you do that? Because Jesus doesn't care about money. I don't give money to this church because I don't have extra money to give the church. If I was a rich person, I'd give money to the church. But how dare you judge me? Don't you judge judge me. How could you judge me like that? I'm like, whoa, dude. Uh, 
Here I am, 27 years old, first pastorate. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't talked about money. I didn't, at two weeks, how much could I mess up in two weeks? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I hadn't talked about money. I had never looked at a contribution list. Hey, everybody, you know what? To this day, two decades in ministry, I've never, I, don't, I have no idea what you've given to the church. I've never known what anybody's given to the church. It's just a part of the deal with me. I just don't. I have no idea, okay? He just hammers me. And I'm sitting there like... And I tried to say to him, have I said anything about my, I couldn't even get, he wouldn't even let me talk. He just hammered me for about 15 or 20 minutes and told me he had nothing to do with money, didn't give. If he was a rich person, he would give and he just, just railing. And then he gets up, you know, and it is shaking. Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. And right before he walks out the door, he says, by the way, I'm leaving the church. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, welcome to, Welcome to the ministry, John. Is it, you know, it's such a, you all know what PMS means, right? Who here, who here knows what PMS means? Right? Pastor must suffer. I learned that very early on in the ministry. The pastor must suffer. And so uh, he just really hammered me for quite a few minutes there. So listen, here's the deal. All right, no sermon today. <laughs> No sermon today. We're talking about money. No sermon. I don't need anybody coming yelling and screaming at me. All right. What I would like to do today is just talk to you about some things that uh, I have seen over two decades of ministry through study, through observance, just observing things, through prayer, and through experience. Like some of my experience, like S O P E, study, observation, prayer and experience. It's like soupy or something. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a word for it. But what I'm trying to say to you is I'm just going to share from you from my experience. And hey, look, if you don't like it, don't get angry. Just don't do it. Okay. It's cool. That's all cool. I'm just going to tell you what, after a lot of study and a lot of observance and my own experience, what I've experienced it doesn't work for you, God bless you. You don't need to call me and say, hey, I want an appointment with you. All right, we're cool? Is that all right? It's going to... I mean, part of what I'm, uh, I think I'm supposed to do up here is talk about what I see in the Bible. And what I want to talk about is the key to the good life. I want to talk about the key to the good life. This verse is famous. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. And I want to talk about what that really means and why is it given in these verses and in this context. Why? Why? What, is, what does that have to do uh, with anything that we have before us? Okay, so uh, to do that, everyone, uh, I want us to establish a couple facts. And here's, here's a couple facts. Look, ha- have, have churches messed this up? You know, have they? <laughs> I get down, many people have told me, you know, I've been in a church and they, they pass the offering plate like five times, man, and I'm so ticked off at it. All right, or the guys on TV, the televangelists, right? They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I, you know, we've experienced all kinds of things. Yes, you're right. The church has messed it up. Got it. Check. You're right. But that doesn't mean we throw these verses out, right? I mean, people mess up sex. Does it mean you're going to stop having sex? Okay, I'm just saying. I just, I'm just saying, all right? So we should just, okay? We're just going to talk about this. 
we, we have never, we've never passed an offering plate, but we believe in the principles I'm about ready to talk about. We've never passed. My daughter, this is the only church she has ever known. I'll never forget, we went to a church one time and they passed the offering plate. And she's about three or four years old. And here comes this offering plate by her and it's loaded with cash, you know. And every, everybody happens to know that I'm a pastor that's there. And she sees the plate and she reaches in and grabs a bunch of 20s. <laughs> And it was really cute until she refused to let go of it. <laughs> Get it let go of that. Okay, you know what I'm saying? So um, anyway, I, I, I understand that we've messed up. Gotcha, check, we have, okay? But maybe you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I want to establish some very important facts, all right? Did Jesus ever talk about money? Jesus was famous for telling stories. He's a really good storyteller, and they, they were called parables. Almost half of his parables were about money. So actually, he did talk a lot about money. Actually, he talked about so much about money. Do you realize that Jesus talked more about money than he did about love? Jesus talked more about money than he did about love. He talked more about money than he did about faith or prayer or serving or forgiving or heaven and hell combined. There's only one thing that Jesus talked more about than money, and that was the kingdom of God. Man, are you serious? Yes. Jesus talked a lot about money. And here he's saying, either you trust God to take care of you or you trust money. And this is really important. I'm trying to make this point. This is not about the money. It's about trust. He says here that trusting in money leads to worry. That's why this whole thing about worry, do not worry. Okay, I got to do what? He is connecting, everybody. Listen, this is important. He is connecting that if you're trusting in, in, in money, anxiety, stress, Worry, all that's going to be a part, you know, of our life. Now, ready for this? America is the wealthiest economy in the history of the world, right? We're all clear on that. America is the wealthiest economy in the history of the world. We're also setting a record for what? Stress, discontentment, and anxiety. Oh, my goodness. How did Jesus know this? He didn't have Gallup. You know how many studies have been done on this? I was just like researching this weeks ago for this message today. There are some, Notre Dame's done a big, University of California, Berkeley. There's a PBS special on this. There's a book written about the paradox of generosity. Basically, it says, you know, when we give, it actually makes us feel good. But nobody, hardly anybody does it. You remember that big ice bucket challenge this past summer? Everybody with the ice bucket on top of the head, right? Did, anybody? Okay, good. Uh, so, listen, you know, people, are, but hardly anybody gives. So there's so much information. I'm not even going to list to you where all the information is coming from because there's an abundance. Just Google it. You'll find it all over the place. America's the wealthiest economy in the history of the world. We're also leading the world on, like, prescription drugs for anxiety, massages. You know, 20, 30 years ago, only rich, rich people in America got a massage. Everybody's getting a massage now. You know what people say? They go, they say, you know what? I got to have it, man, because I'm, I'm so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. You're an American. You're stressed out. You have so much money, you're not supposed to be stressed out. The poor of America are the rich of the world. So Jesus is on to something here. No matter what you think about Jesus, whether you're bought into Jesus or not, you're like, whoa, dude, 2,000 years ago, how'd you figure that out without the internet to tell you? It's pretty cool. Okay, Jesus says three really important things about money. I wanna, I wanna go through them real quick, okay? The first one is this. You can fill in the blank. Money blinds us, blinds us, blinds us. Okay, uh, Mark, can we see our boy again? 
Let's just take a look. There he is. Huh? Is he good looking? All right, thank you. If you're honest. Why did we put him up there? Because he has Matthew 6.22 engraved on his wedding ring, this verse. Do you know what it means? It simply means this, that money blinds us. That's all that's being said there. Now watch this. Look, Jesus says in the scripture, he says, watch out for greed. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, hey, watch out for lust. You know why Jesus doesn't say, watch out for lust, or Jesus doesn't say, watch out for lying? The only thing Jesus says, hey, watch out for greed. Why? Because when we're lusting, we know it. And when we're lying, we know it. But greed, we're greedy and we don't even know it because it blinds us. This is what Jesus is saying. Tim Keller says it this way. I have the quote for you. He says this, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex. Yeah, we talk about sex all the time, don't we? Don't be having sex, okay? Jesus warns people far more often about greed than he does about sex, yet almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. <laughs> so true. Therefore, we should all begin with the working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. Well, I know it's a problem for the rest of you, but it's not a problem for me, Okay. Choose. They did this survey. Choose. All right. We got this. We got this. Choose A uh, or B. Okay. So they asked people, A, you can make 50 grand a year while everyone else makes 25 grand or B, you can make a hundred grand. We're going to double your salary, but everybody around you can make 200 grand. What was the choice? A or B, everybody? B. Kidding me? Everybody chose A. By and large, everybody took A. I'll take less. I'll take half the money. I just want to have more money than everybody else around me. That was Americans that we did this. Fascinating. People say, just like the guy that railed on me, if I had more money, I would give the money. And we hear that all the time. We say that. I think that. Oh, God, if you just bless me with a bunch of money, I'd give more money. But you know, statistically, here's the fact. Doesn't happen in America. Doesn't happen. The more money Americans make, the less they give. And those who are really making big bucks, like millions and up a year, right? very little money is given away. By and large, I know there are some people that give quite a bit of money. I'm just telling you overall, statistically speaking, this idea that we all have because money blinds us. We say, if I just had more, okay, you know, God, if I have more, I'll give you more. The reality is, is it does not happen. Isn't that fascinating? Why would that be? Because money blinds us, just like Jesus says here. Andrew Carnegie, anybody recognize that name? Andrew Carnegie made a ton of money in the steel, I mean a ton, at a very young age. And he said this at the age of 33. He wrote, as a note to self, he said, the amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. And then he goes on to talk about how he's got to be cautious against it, blah, blah, blah. He says, I'm going to retire in two years at the age of 35. Did he retire in two years at the age of 35? No. Andrew Carnegie built more than 2,000 libraries. And you know what his employees wanted? You think they want another library? His employees worked in inhuman conditions for years. Many of them died very young. He paid them hardly any money. They worked in terrible conditions. They died of disease. He made them, he made them work a two-week shift without a day off and then to get their day off one time a week, they had to work a 24-hour shift to do it. It was so hot in the place that they worked, they had to, they had to make these little platforms of wood so they could walk on the floor because it was so hot. Here's the guy saying, hey, man, money's not going to rule me. Money's not going to rule me. But he was blinded himself. Money blinds us so very easily. Second thing, money binds us. 
verse 24. You know, you're going to be devoted to one or the other. Money wants slaves. Money wants servants and slaves. Money is looking for slaves. If I could just get more money, I would be content. Don't raise your hand. Is that you? I'm going to tell you right now, that's me. I think that. I truly do. I've been searching my heart for the last three weeks preparing for this message, thinking, do I really think that? Yes, I do. I will be content. But Jesus says, no, that's not the case. And all the statistics, actually, now that we have, and we have volumes of it, tell us that's true, too. Money is addictive, and it wants slaves. And I think it's going to make me happier, makes it worse. Listen, when a country's GDP rises, the measure of happiness in that country should rise with it. Which way is American measure of happiness going? Because our GDP is right through the roof. We're the wealthiest economy in the world. Is it rising or is it dropping? It is dropping. How did Jesus know this? Because money makes us a slave and we serve money and we think it's going to make us happy, but it doesn't. Look at what Forbes magazine, you all have seen the documentaries on lottery winners, right? You've seen all this before. So Forbes magazine did a little piece on lottery winners and this is what they, this is what they discovered. Lottery winners' happiness levels spiked when they won, but they returned to their pre-winning levels within a few months. A lottery winner by the name of Steve White says this, winning the lottery is like throwing miracle Grow on character flaws. Pretty powerful, right? Uh, lottery winners tend to be, and if you've seen the documentary, either dead, addicted, hated, hated, bankrupt, or divorced. All these things. Money is not the answer. It's not the answer. Look, I really, I have thought about this. I have searched my own heart and said, you know what, God? Even though you tell me this, Jesus, and even though all the studies tell me that money's not the answer, I think to myself, I genuinely think to myself, if I came into a whole bunch of money all of a sudden, like I inherited a ton of money, I'd think to myself, you know what? I'm not going to mess up like everybody else. It's not going to make me unhappy. What does that tell you about me? That tells you that I am blinded, and I don't even know it. I don't think I have a problem. But the reality is, if you let this word seep right down into your heart where it starts to hurt, I am blinded by money because I think it might happen to all of you. All of you will be hated, frustrated, all that kind of stuff, but not me. I'll handle the money right and I'll just be a happy clam. I'm blinded. Now, let's get to the good stuff. Money is a test, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. It's not about the money. It's about trusting God. It's not about the money. It's about trusting God. Would you help me? I just really want you to get this in the other Can you help, help me say that? It's not about the money. It's not about the money. It's about trusting God. Here we go. It's about trusting God. I just, you got to really know this. All right, God must be first. God must always be first. How do you put God first? So here we go. Just famous verse, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God first. Okay, I pray before I make decisions. I'm seeking God's kingdom first. That's beautiful, and you should. That's awesome. Seek God first. I read God's word for guidance when I make, that's how I, that's how I'm putting God first. You know, I pray or I go to his word or I go to church or I seek wise counsel. You know, I, that's how I put God first. The only thing that's very interesting is this entire thing is about money. This whole, all these verses, they're all about money and all of a sudden seek first. Oh yeah. Well, he means to pray. (laughs) Obviously he means I should pray. Okay. The primary way that somebody puts God first all the way through Scripture and in these very important verses here is financially, is money. That's the primary way in Scripture. I have uh, looked into it and I've looked for all kinds of loopholes but uh, been unable to find it. 
The primary way that we put God first, you want to put God first, is financially. I'll give you a few verses. There's tons. 16 times in the scripture, God says, put me first, put me first. And it's all always in this financial context. Leviticus 27, a tithe of everything. I'll explain a tithe in a minute. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Look at where it says it belongs to God. It belongs to God. Very strong wording there. God says, it's mine. The first portion is mine. God must be first. You have to seek first. It's holy to God. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. Jesus believes in tithing himself. He says to the uh, Pharisees and hypocrites, What sorrows await you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, which are justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus says, yes, you should tithe. Okay, It's not everything. <laughs> it's not like justice, mercy, and faith, but should you tithe? Yes, you, you, you should do it. So we, we, re, we return to God 10%. That's what Jesus said. A tithe is 10%. I'm going to get that in a minute. And we manage the remaining 90%. This is what's being said. Uh, there's this famous story in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. Uh, Adam and Eve, they have two sons, Cain and Abel. You might remember it. It's right at the beginning of the Bible. And uh, ends up Cain ends up killing his brother Abel. But before that happens, we're told this, that both of them brought a sacrifice to God. And God says he rejects, think about this, he rejects Cain's sacrifice. And I've heard many Bible teachers say, we have no idea why he rejects it. We can't figure it out. Well, he rejects it. We don't know. I'm not sure. What's the deal here? What's going on? Well, the scripture is pretty clear about why God rejects it. It says, Abel, who got his sacrifice accepted, brings the first fruits. He brings the first portion, the best portion. See, the first always takes faith. He brings that to God. Cain doesn't. God doesn't accept it unless it's first. God always has to be first. God has to be first. This is what he's saying. Is, because the first part is always the faith part. Or how about when the Israelites, you know, they get out of slavery and they go into the promised land and they have to face the people of Jericho. So they have this big battle ahead of them. And God says, all the spoils from Jericho, 100% is mine. Why did God say that? Because it's the first battle. Okay. It's the first spoils. It's we're going to make the first gold and the spoils and all this kind of stuff of warfare. They're going to have this big battle. God says, no, sacrifice it all to me. Give it all to me. And what happens? Well, there's a guy there. And his name is Achan. And he takes some. And, and, and they find out about it. God says, you're cursed. You're cursed because the first is mine. If you don't give the first to me, you're, you're under a curse. Here's something that happened to me. happened to me many years ago. So I haven't always worked for a church. I worked for UPS. I worked for UPS for years. And uh, I was delivering a package car for them. And God's dealing with me about this put it him first deal. And I knew we, get paid, we got paid every Friday. And I knew what, how many hours I worked. <laughs> so I knew what my paycheck was going to be. And I knew things were going to be tight. We had some expenses and stuff that were going on in our life. And they were just unusual expenses. And so I knew things were going to be tight. And uh, so I'm getting ready to pay, you know, the light company. And I'm getting ready to pay our mortgage. And we're going to pay all these things, right? And God begins to do it. Hey, I got to be first. I'm like, okay, you're totally first, God. Absolutely. As soon as I take care of the mortgage and the credit card company and the light and all that stuff, you are definitely first. There's not a doubt about it that you're first in my life. And God is just hammering me on this thing. And I said, all right. So I said, God, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tithe first. I'm going to tithe first. 
and I'm going to trust you because God says we can trust him in this. Actually, he says we can test him in this. We can test him. Only place in Scripture you can test God. This is it. So I do it. And I'm just, you know, I'm ready for whatever to happen. Well, I get to work on Friday, and they hand me my paycheck. And you believe this, this has left a mark on me to this day. It happened 20-some years ago. UPS messed up on my, on my paycheck. They doubled my pay. They doubled it. Doubled it. I went to my, you know, ooh, thank you, God, for the money. No. Okay, that'd be stealing, right? So I, I went to the supervisor, and I so shh, you doubled my pay. He says, cool, I don't care. Keep the money. We'll square it away later. And about six weeks later, they squared it away. By six weeks later, I was out of my financial tightness. It was done. I'll never forget that. It's a matter of trust. It had nothing to do with money. It's all about trust. And it's left an impression upon me to this day. What is a tithe? A tithe is a, is a, is a tenth. A tithe is a tenth. It's 10%. It's 10%. The number 10 in the Bible, everybody, is the number for testing. So how many commandments were there? I can't hear you. Ten, thank you. Okay, ten. Uh, uh, and and how, many, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart with plagues? Anybody know? Remember the plagues in Egypt? Anybody? Venture a guess. How many? Oh, that's him. Okay. Uh, I, and, and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and some of you have to really maybe know more. It's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They won't, I won't eat the food sacrificed to idols. And Daniel says, test us for how many days? Guess. 10. Revelation chapter 2, the church of Smyrna. God says, I am going to test you for how many days? We could go on and on and on here, right? But the number for testing the Bible uh, is, 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 is 10. Every time I get a paycheck or you get a paycheck, God is testing us. God is testing you. He's testing me. It's a test. Here's the test. God says, I'm going to test you and you can test me back. It's all about a test. Uh, the issue isn't about money. It's about trust. All right. I want to read to you uh, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible from Malachi. God says, return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how are we going to return? How are we coming? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that you may have food in my house. And test me. Only place in Scripture. Says the Lord of hosts, I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing until it overflows. Then I'll rebuke the devourer. Okay, you don't really give a tithe, everybody. This is really important. You don't, you don't, you don't really give a tithe. So God says every, all the money that, that I have, he says to me, John, that's actually 100% is all mine. So I don't ever give God money. I return it. That's why it makes a big deal about returning. So, so I, I, I return 10% of that to God. So uh, Doug's going to help me out over here. Doug, can you give me 20 bucks? Right there, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. I want to ask you, Doug, did that bother you to give me 20 bucks? No, it did not. Why is that? Because I'm returning to you what you gave to me this morning. So I gave, I gave Doug 20 bucks before the service. And it doesn't bother him one bit for him to give me the 20 bucks because it's my money. See, I, he would be robbing me if he kept the money, right? See, this puts a whole new perspective on it. All the money is God's money. This is what he says. And God says, it's my money, just return back. That's why it makes a big deal about robbing God, right? So it didn't bother you, did it? No, no, Because it's my money. No. Plus, you, you said nice things about me this morning, too. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> all right, three things. I know I'm almost done, okay? Three things, important things here. First of all, God breaks the curse when we tithe. This is what he says in Malachi, that he's going to break a curse. And you say to me, oh, come on, John, come on, man, come on, curse, curse. Uh, I want to remind you of two very important facts, all right? Curse, 
I'm going to remind you of two important facts. America is the wealthiest nation in the history of the entire planet, and we're leading the planet in worry, stress, and anxiety. You tell me, are we cursed? I'm just pointing out facts. When we tithe, God breaks the curse. You can do with this whatever you would like. Really, there's no guilt here. I would have no idea if you did anything with it or not. But here's the thing. The bank can't break the curse over your life. The credit card company can't break the curse over your life. If you want to pay them first and somehow think the curse is going to be broken, it's not going to happen. It's not going to, I'm sorry, it's not, it's, this is what God is saying. It's not going to happen. The power company can't break the curse over my life. I had to put God first. Number two, God opens the windows of heaven when we tithe. Windows, windows, windows. Uh, this windows in the scripture speaks of access, access to God's presence. So in Deuteronomy 28, when it talks about, hey, the heavens are going to be like brass, what it's saying is, is I'm praying and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Maybe you felt that way sometimes. I felt that way sometimes, okay? It feels, and the scripture says that. So when the windows open, say, hey, I can sense God's presence. I can feel his power. When I'm praying to God, I feel that. You know, this past December, we did something called the Advent Conspiracy, and we just, we talked about, we gave all kinds of money away. As a church, we gave all kinds of money away. And there was a genuine sense of God's presence in an unusual way. And you know why? Because we were focused focused on giving away. God opens the windows of heaven. Last thing, God rebukes the devourer when we tithe. What is the devourer? It's those things. It's those things in life that kind of make life miserable. I can't tell you, everybody. God says, I'll rebuke those things that make like stress and anxiety and worry and all that kind of stuff. I can tell you how many mission trips I've been on. I've been on mission trips for the last 25 years of my life. And we'll come back and always us rich Americans say the same thing. And we're all rich. You got to know this. Every single one of us in this room are rich. You go on a mission trip with me, you're going to find out how rich you are. And so all the time this is said to me, come back and somebody will look at me and say, oh my gosh, they had nothing, yet they have something I want so badly. They're so filled with peace and joy, but they have nothing. They're poor. I want what they have. And I'm like, there's an easy way you can get it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So what's God trying to get a hold of us on this? All right, let me conclude with saying this. God says, don't Worry about what you eat, drink, what you wear. Look at the birds, look at the flowers, all this kind of stuff. I want to show you a visual. All right, it's called God's cycle of care. What God is describing for us in there is this, God's cycle of care. You tithe to God and God brings contentment to you. This is what the good life is really all about. God's saying, okay, don't worry, you know, like the birds and all this other kind of stuff. What he's describing to us is this cycle of care. You want in on that. You honestly want to be a part of that. God says, if you'll do that, I will take care of you. All right, Uh, I'm going to conclude with this story, but first I'm going to ask the music team uh, and the prayer team. Prayer team's going to come over to this wall over here. I'm going to explain why in just a second. The music team's going to come up, and I'm just going to end... and with a story that I have to tell you. And uh, at, before I tell the story, let me tell you this, everybody. Let's, 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 let's do a synopsis of the Sermon on the Mount real quick, all right? There's three layers to the Sermon on the Mount. There's the practical layer. Do not worry. Very simple. I don't need to explain that to you. Do not worry. Yep, I believe it. I shouldn't worry. That's right, John. Thank you very much. Don't worry. Not a lot to say. There's a deeper, there's an intellectual level to the Sermon on the Mount. 
And it says, hey, look, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. It's very practical. That's, that's a, there's much more to say about that, but it means to live here and now, not there and then. If you're living there and then, when I graduate from school, when I buy a house, when I get married, when I have kids, when I retire, you're going to be stressed out. You have to live here and now, and that is true too. You don't have to be a Christian to believe it. Now let's go to the third and final layer, the spiritual layer. This is spiritual, and it takes faith. God says, seek first my kingdom. This is hard. And matters of faith are very personal. They're very, very personal. It's tough. This is not about money. This is about faith. Okay, let me end with this story. Um, We had a problem with our roof. A problem with our roof. And uh, I knew it was a problem, and I put it off a long time. I was worried about how much money it was going to cost us to fix the roof. It was a devourer in my life. I'm like, God, what about the roof? And finally, I got some people to come in and give me some estimates. And I just kept getting more estimates, hoping that somehow someone would say, oh, no, it's going to be hardly nothing to fix. <clears throat> what ended up happening is there was 13 sheets of plywood on our roof that were bad. Okay, that was how the story ended. Well, they all came back with a number, and the number was all pretty much the same. It was big. It was a big number. And so I sat on it for a long time, and Krista and I are praying about it. Oh, God, you said you would take care of us. This is terrible. And look, and what I'm talking about, if you think for a second that tithing is like playing the lottery and all of a sudden a bunch of money is going to come to you and life is going to be beautiful, wrong. Ah, It's tough. Praying, hey, God, what's going to happen here? So finally, after months and months and months of praying about this and not having my finally said, okay, that's it. I'm just going to have to do this because it's going to get worse. This is not a want. It's a need. We're going to have a problem with the roof. Water's going to come in. I've got to do something about this. One day, I'm getting ready to call one of the companies who we decided to do the work, and I got a phone call from somebody who doesn't live in this area, who I haven't seen in a while. They didn't know anything about what's going on. They just called me up and they say, hey, is something going on with your life? They're like, you know, when somebody says that, you never know. Well, yeah, there's a lot going on in my life. But what's, well, here's the thing. God keeps like, nailing me that I need to send you a check. Now you think I'm a minister and this happens to me all the time. No, it doesn't. Uh, So that's interesting. And they said, yeah, I was getting ready to send it. But God would not let me sleep. He woke me up early this morning and he said to send you this amount. I said, are you serious? That was the exact amount I needed for the roof. Look, I, I, I know, I know it's touchy. I know guys like me have screwed this message up for years. I understand that. You can do with it whatever you want. You can do with it whatever. There's no guilt. I'll have no idea if you do anything with it or not. Okay? There's no guilt. Whatever. There's no reason to be nervous. I'm just saying from my experience, you want to be a part of the good life, God's cycle of care, you want that. All right. I know we're done. We're five minutes over. So here we go. Let me tell you how we're going to end. Prayer team's over there. I was driving off of this lot last week. And clear as a bell, I just felt an impression from God. I felt like God said, hey, John. People are going through a lot of stuff in their lives. And you need to call people over to the, to the prayer wall and anoint them with oil and pray for them. And immediately I thought, that's ah, just me. I'm stupid. You know, I'm just hearing things. And then, then God reminded me like four or five times throughout this week. No, 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 no. And finally after the fifth time, I said, hey, yeah, okay, I got it. We're going to do it. So in a second, we'll stand up and sing this song. You're free to go. Okay? We'll stand up, start singing. You're free to go. But I want to tell you, I, I feel this. You got something happen in your life? 
God wants to intervene in your situation. I, I really think he does. And the prayer team's here. The moment we start singing, you're free to go over there. We're going to do it. Okay, let's stand. Here we go. Let me pray and we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much uh, for your care and your word. God, bless us and help us. Whatever's going on in our lives, intervene. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.